Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Well, find your Bibles. Find your Bibles. Appreciate you giving me just a moment. I know we've kind of shared a lot of things today, but the centerpiece of our time in worship is always the Word. This is a pattern. This is a rhythm. This is really a deep, grounded conviction for us that it is the Word of God that changes and transforms our lives as followers of Jesus. God has given to us His Word. His Spirit has superintended it for us. It is a living, breathing, active book. So every Sunday when we gather, we go to it, we open it up, and then we let the Spirit of God do a deep work. We're going to be in James chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one underneath a chair nearby. Page 951 will get you right to James chapter 3. Follow along with me. In verse 13, we're going to finish up this chapter. Last week, we were in the first part of chapter 3. It was all about the tongue. This week, we get into the topic of wisdom from above. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you're keeping notes this morning, this is the big idea. It sits over top of the text. We'll unpack it for the next 30 or 35 minutes. True followers of Jesus live life guided by God's wisdom. True followers of Jesus. We live our lives guided and directed by the wisdom from above, God's wisdom. Now, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were following the advice of somebody, maybe even somebody that you trusted, but it didn't end up as well as you had hoped? Do we have anybody in here? How many of you are not, you are not the firstborn? Not the firstborn, okay? I'm, I'm the thirdborn, okay? What is it about our firstborn siblings that just have to like rule and control our lives, right? They always have a bit of advice that they have to give and they have to share and they just expect us to follow it. Just sort of seems to be the way. Now, praise God for firstborns, right? We wouldn't have lead singers of rock star bands if it weren't for firstborns uh, in, in families. Or we wouldn't have astronauts and entrepreneurs and engineers and doctors. Like, they provide a lot of good things to our society. But for those of us who are not the firstborn, we, we had to sit under their advice for most of our childhood. We had a situation in our home recently. I won't name names, but it was our firstborn who was playing in the garage with one of our other boys. We have four boys, if you're not familiar with our family, so there's a lot of chaos and stuff and fighting and roughhousing that goes on. Well, they were in the garage, and the firstborn 
said to the thirdborn that there's, there's, this little, there's a little latch on the garage door, and you can turn that latch, and, and it, it locks the garage door and unlocks the garage door. So the firstborn says to the thirdborn, why don't, you, why don't you take the back of your shirt and just hang it over that latch, and let's see what happens when I push the button and open the garage door. So sure enough, the thirdborn said, hey, my older brother is wiser than me, older than me. Let's give it a try. And by the time Amy came out to the garage and saw what was going on, our thirdborn was hanging from the ceiling by his shirt, the back of his shirt, because apparently this was an amazing idea. So I don't know if you found yourself in a situation and maybe you were following the advice of a firstborn older sibling didn't turn out as well as you thought, or maybe it was a friend or a family member, maybe, maybe it was a salesman that said, you need this vehicle, you need this car, and you drive it off the lot, and it turns into a lemon, it starts falling apart on you, or maybe it's one of those influencers on Instagram, and they say, I got this product, it's going to change your life, and you try it, and it doesn't. Failed advice and failed wisdom from people around us. The only wisdom that will never fail you is wisdom from above. When we as followers of Jesus are living our lives guided by the wisdom that comes from God, it will not fail. Now, mankind has always valued wisdom. As a man in the Old Testament by the name of Solomon, God gave him a particular anointing with wisdom. And Solomon says in Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. But not just in the religious realm, but in the non-religious, in the the realm of philosophy. Cicero, the Roman philosopher, 900 years after Solomon said this, Wisdom is the best gift of the gods, and it is the mother of all good things. But not all wisdoms are created equal. There are two competing wisdoms at work in the world. There is wisdom from above, it originates with God, and then there is wisdom from below, it originates with us. And they're not the same. Somewhat humorously, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So man's best idea is not as good as God's worst idea. The, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So you and I will struggle to properly navigate through life if we are not allowing our lives to be guided by the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that is from God and is a a reflection of his character. So the question that we must ask then is what is true about a life guided by God's wisdom? There are three outstanding truths found right here in our text. The text is going to give these to us. We're going to see it in God's word. I hope that you'll keep your eyes on the scriptures this morning. The outline is going to look like this. When God's wisdom is guiding me, number one, I display everyday humility. When God's wisdom, wisdom from above, is guiding my life, I display everyday humility. Look at verse 13. James asks this question. It's a probing question. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. Now, if you recall last week, he was calling out some of these that wanted to be teachers but were not ready for the responsibility that came with that. So he set the teachers back on their heels a little bit. Well, now he's trying to call them forward. Who is wise among you? And the expectation that we find in Scripture and that even James shared with us in chapter 1 is that all of us should have 
wisdom. As a matter of fact, chapter 1, verse 5, if we don't have wisdom, what are we supposed to do? Ask. We ask. So God wants to give wisdom. God is benevolent and he is generous and he is full of wisdom and he desires to give it to us. And so the expectation is that whoever among you that is wise, whether you think that's you or if you don't think that's you, you're still called on in chapter 1 to ask for wisdom. So the expectation is that we all should possess wisdom because God desires to give it to us as his people. And the point then that he continues to make in the second half of this verse is that wisdom from God doesn't just change what you do, but it changes how you do it. He makes three statements. Look at it in verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So by his good conduct, the word conduct speaks to the totality of our life. It's not just these one-off decisions that we're making, but whether we're with Christians or we're not, whether we're in church or not, All of our life is characterized, all of our conduct, all of our way of living is characterized by being good. By his good conduct, then he says, let him show his works. This is the functional faith that has been a theme throughout the entire book. Show me your faith apart from your works, I will show you my faith by my works. Our faith, our gospel is to be on the ground, it's to be active, it's to be functioning. And then thirdly, he makes this statement, in the meekness of wisdom. So here's the how. So wisdom is not just what you do, knowing what to do, but also knowing how to do it and doing it in the right way, in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom produces an everyday display of humility. I love what the theologian Derek Kidner said, wisdom makes good people nice. See, good people know what to do. Nice people know how to do it. And the difference is wisdom. Wisdom makes good people nice. So the word meekness here, often translated as humility or gentleness, in our English doesn't really do service to the original language there. Because sometimes when we talk about gentleness or humility, there's a passivity to it. There's, a, there's almost this sense of weakness to it. But in Scripture, it, it, was, it was strength under control. This term was used to uh, describe Uh, a horse that had been broken in by its master and was now useful. So great power, great strength, but now under control. That's meekness. And of course, this is what was used to describe Jesus. Matthew 11, 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. It's the same word. I am gentle and lowly in heart. So God, in meekness through Christ, demonstrated for us what that humility should look like, putting it on display in everyday actions. So my life, your life as followers of Jesus, must be guided by God's wisdom. And when we are guided by God's wisdom, it will be marked by humility. Humility. Now, unfortunately, humility is in short supply today. Story was told of a man by the name of Dawson Trotman, and he was the founder of a Christian organization called the Navigators. It's still around today. And the Navigators had an emphasis on discipleship and evangelism and sharing your faith and passing your faith and growing others in their faith. And Dawson Trotman founded this in the earlier 1900s, and he was traveling at one point to uh, Taiwan and visiting some of the national pastors and churches there. And one of the national pastors was showing him around, and they were traveling up to some of the 
uh, villages that were up in the hills and up in the mountains, and the pathway to get there was muddy and wet and soggy, and Dawson Trotman was traveling up there with this national Taiwanese pastor, and after this man, uh, Dawson Trotman, had left, that pastor was asked what he remembered most about Dawson. And without hesitation, he said this, he cleaned my shoes. He cleaned my shoes. How much more wisdom from above could be put on display for the world to see if Christ followers were less interested in prominence and position and we were more interested in cleaning muddy shoes? That's wisdom. Now, again, that's in short supply today. The currency with which the world does business is not by humility. It's a dog-eat-dog, climb-the-corporate-ladder, only the strong survive. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, we are marked by meekness, and that is actually a display of wisdom from above. So let's sit in this idea of humility for a moment. Yes, it's paradoxical, but that's all of our faith as followers of Jesus. It's paradoxical. Strength is found through weakness. We find entrance by laying aside our way. We find life only after death. It's paradoxical. It's somewhat backwards. It's somewhat upside down. And so wisdom from above is marked by humility. When everybody else is trying to get ahead and when everybody else is pushing people aside, we are taking up the basin and the towel. And we are serving just as Christ did. Everyday humility. Everyday humility, humility moderates the problems with our tongue that we talked about last week. Everyday humility eliminates issues of partiality and segregation in the church that Pastor James was dealing with. Everyday humility creates this posture of surrender and obedience so that we are not just hearing the word, but we are also doing the word. Everyday humility, it diffuses difficult and tense situations. Everyday humility seeks forgiveness and restoration regardless of whether it's reciprocated. Everyday humility. And so Paul, who is also a writer of the New Testament, says in Philippians chapter 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was, born, uh, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was not robbing and stealing something from God that was not already his, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, contrary maybe to popular opinion, wisdom does not just teach on stages. Wisdom also cleans muddy shoes. Wisdom from above is marked by humility. When God's wisdom is guiding me, I display everyday humility. Number two. When God's wisdom is guiding me, I decipher wisdom's nemesis. Now, that's just a cool word, isn't it? Like, how many sermons have you heard with the word nemesis in it? When God's wisdom is guiding me, I can decipher, I can discern wisdom's nemesis. So, Harry Potter has Lord Voldemort. Ariel had Ursula. Sherlock Holmes had James Moriarty. Mario had Bowser. So what is the arch nemesis, the antagonist to wisdom from above? Well, interestingly enough, James does not give this enemy a name, but he does give it a description. And if I were to ask you, 
who is the enemy or what is the enemy to God's wisdom from above, I think most of us would probably say foolishness. We, we, would, we would identify the opposite of wisdom, but that's not necessarily the enemy of wisdom. James is actually going to identify the enemy of wisdom as a self-centeredness. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because wisdom from, a, from above originates with God. It is a reflection of his good character. And so it is God-centeredness. Wisdom from below is reflected, a refle- reflection of man. And so it is man-centeredness. Self-centeredness. And so James is going to paint a portrait here of this enemy of wisdom. I want you to see it in verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So here's the portrait. First he shows us in verse 14 how this enemy shows up. If you have, he, he says, bitter jealousy, which is this constant comparison, and then selfish ambition, which is this personal promotion. That's what it often looks like. That's how it shows up. And then he says, if you have this in your heart. Now that's where it gets dangerous because it's below the surface. You can be doing good things, but you can be doing it for the wrong reason. And everybody else can say, boy, look at that person. Look what they're doing. They're doing such great things. But underneath, it can actually be motivated by selfish ambition and personal promotion. And I want to be seen, and I want you to recognize me and what's in this for me. That is not a reflection of wisdom from above. That's the enemy of wisdom from above. Then he shares with us in the second half of verse 14 what it does. He says, do not boast and be false to the truth. You see, the truth will always be a reflection of wisdom from above. And truth is kind of stubborn, isn't it? It just doesn't change. It's always truth. But wisdom from below is going to live in opposition. It's going to be contrary to truth. Then he shares in verse 15 some of the underlying characteristics of this nemesis, of this enemy. He says in verse 15, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly, from below. Unspiritual, it has this idea of natural. It it, it doesn't have spiritual characteristics to it. And then he says the word demonic. Now that might be the closest that he comes to giving us a name for this enemy. And ever since the dawn of time, in a garden, with a woman, and a piece of fruit, Satan has been questioning the wisdom of God. And he hasn't stopped. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So this earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic enemy is leading us away from the sincerity of a relationship with Christ. And then we see what it produces in verse 16. For where jealousy... And selfish ambition, he names those manifestations again. Where these exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Just a self-centered, unhinged life. So we need to do a self-evaluation. James has done us a service here 
by describing the nemesis for wisdom from above because now we can decipher which wisdom is guiding me. Which wisdom is influencing this decision that I'm making right now or the decision that I need to make this week or the decision that's upcoming in the next season of my life? Which wisdom is guiding this? And as you are able to decipher both sets of wisdom, you'll know which one is the right one and which one should be informing and influencing that decision. If you've ever had a boss that did an annual review, sometimes that boss will say to you, I want you to do a self-evaluation before the review. That boss wants you to sit down and get introspective and look at yourself and evaluate yourself and your own performance and the way that you're, you are operating on the job. So this is kind of an opportunity for us to do that with respect to the decisions and the choices that we're making. A self-evaluation. So when you have a big decision to make, how do we evaluate it to make sure that we are following the right wisdom? Well, check your motivations. Check the motivations behind that decision that you are making. Is this a God-centered motivation? That means it's from above. Or is this a self-centered motivation? That means it's from below. Then check its agreement with truth. Because wisdom from above will always agree with truth. Wisdom from below will never agree with truth. And so check its agreement with truth. Then check the characteristics of this decision that you're making. This is a little bit harder to do. But if you sit in it for a little bit, you'll begin to discern, is this, are these characteristics earthly, unspiritual, maybe even demonic? Or are these, do these bear out the characteristics of the character and nature of God from above? And then check the fruit. What will this decision, what will this choice produce in my life? Will this decision produce something that brings glory to God? Will this decision produce something that moves forward his mission and his work in my life? Or is this something that is just earthly and just temporary and just for me? And if you suspect that the other wisdom, the nemesis of wisdom from above, is guiding you, the Spirit of God is kind to redirect and to reprioritize and to realign your choices with God's wisdom from above. So which wisdom is guiding you? Decipher and discern wisdom's nemesis so that you can be sure that you are being guided by the wisdom that is from God. When God's wisdom is guiding me, I display everyday humility. I decipher wisdom's nemesis. And number three, I determine to make peace. I determine to make peace. I want you to see it in the text here in verse 17 and 18. James writes, but the wisdom from above in contrast to what we just studied in verses 14, 15, and 16, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, verse 18 is a proverb. Look at it again. A harvest, that means the fruit or what is produced from the seed. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's a little difficult to decipher this proverb. This, has been, this particular translation was translated word for word. Some translations translate more of the thought by adding in the word seed. And the seed whose harvest is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's several things going on in here. There is a seed, and that is the wisdom. 
The, the seed of wisdom is being planted. The harvest, the fruit, is righteousness. That is a life that is a reflection of the character of God. Then you have the soil. It's being sown. It's being planted in the soil, and the soil is peace. And then you have the gardeners, and that's us. And we are the ones cultivating the soil, and James says that we are making peace. We are preparing the soil for the seed of wisdom to be planted so that the harvest of righteousness can grow. What does that seed of wisdom look like? Well, that's verse 17. And when you compare verse 17 to what we read in 14, 15, and 16, these are quite a contrast. The wisdom from above, he says, is first pure. This is that unadulterated motive. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. That means persuadable. That means that sometimes you might not be right. (laughs) But wisdom from above allows conversations to take place where we can learn. It's full of mercy. Mercy is the willingness to relinquish judgment. It's full of good fruits as opposed to the alternative. It's impartial, which means it's not judgmental. And then it is sincere, which means without hypocrisy. No mask. No facade. Just real, genuine. And so the seed of wisdom is being planted in the soil of peace, and it is producing righteousness. And there's this beautiful picture that's, that's, that's being described here in verse 18 in this proverb. And if you've ever done any gardening, you understand this to be true, that if you plant some seeds, let's say some tomato seeds, and it grows a tomato fruit, uh, then that tomato has within it the seeds that can then produce more fruit. And that's what's going on here, that the seed of righteousness is being planted in the soil. It's producing the harvest or the fruit, I'm sorry, the seed of wisdom is being planted in in the soil of peace. And it's producing a harvest of righteousness. And righteousness then can be produced, it can be planted as more wisdom. That the fruit bears the seed. The righteousness bears the wisdom. And both of them together are being grown in the soil of peace. So you and I, We are the gardeners. That's our job. We cultivate the soil by making peace. So how well have you been working the soil? Let me ask it a different way. Are you just keeping peace or are you making peace? There's a difference. Keeping peace is just sort of maintaining the status quo so that nothing gets too difficult or tentious. Making peace is going to difficult and tense situations and cultivating the soil and bringing what is true to that situation so that peace can come from chaos. The world is a chaotic, frenzied place. And that was put on display again this week as we all watched in horror as the news articles and videos came out of the tragic shooting that took place in Nashville where in senseless brutality, a 28-year-old went into a school and took the life of three beautiful children and three staff members. How did the world respond to that? Many took a situation that was brutal and chaotic and made it worse. They made chaos from chaos by taking sides 
they made chaos from chaos rather than praying and, and consoling and trying to be a part of a solution. All of a sudden they want to argue about this side or that side of a gun issue or this side or that side of the mental health crises or the bigotry that is often aimed at the LGBTQ community and they just want to take sides and they want to fight and they want to argue and they want to become more and more and more chaotic when there's a tragic situation like that. But what do followers of Jesus do? What should followers of Jesus do? We make peace. We go to situations that are tense and difficult and problematic and even hard, and we find ways to make peace and understand this, that no one else is better equipped to make peace in a world of chaos than those of us who are followers of Jesus. We have access to the wisdom from above. We have the Spirit of Christ within us. We have the gospel of our salvation, which is the hope of our world. And so we go to those who are hurting. We go to those who are broken. And we go to a culture that oftentimes just wants to take sides. And we make peace. We're not just hiding out till Jesus comes. We're not just hanging on to the end. We're not just hunkering down with all of our Christian friends until it all sort of blows over. We make peace. We're not just trying to survive, moms and dads, another day with our kids at home. There's, there's oftentimes chaos in the home, isn't there? We're not just trying to survive. We're not just trying to make it through the day. As parents to those children, God has given us the responsibility to teach and to train them not just how to keep peace, but how to make peace and to cultivate the soil of our homes so that it's a reflection of the character of God. In difficult relationships, Christians don't just cut off people who've hurt us. We don't just say, no, I'm done with you because you hurt me, and so now you've got to be pushed out of my life. No, we go back and we reconcile. We go back and we, we, we seek to make right and we seek to restore those relationships. In a church family like ours, we are not just here putting our Sunday smiles on trying to keep peace. No, we are making peace, which means we embrace the messiness of relationships. We're all a mess. And sometimes our mess rubs off on other people and we make them a mess. And we offend and we hurt and we talk bad about people and we talk behind people's backs and we create disunity. So what do we do when all that happens? We don't just put on our Sunday smiles and just keep the peace. No, we go and we make peace and we make it right. And once again, can I just say that no one is better equipped to do that than you and me. Because of all that God has given to us and the grace of God that is at work in our lives. With all the craziness going on in our world, how do we make peace? Wisdom from above. If you are looking around here for wisdom down below to make peace in this world, good luck. You are going to need a wisdom that does not originate down here. You're going to need a, you're going to need a wisdom that originates up there. And so true followers of Jesus, this is that big idea. True followers of Jesus live life guided by God's wisdom. God's wisdom is the only wisdom that will never fail you. Maybe that big brother or that big brother, that big sister's wisdom has failed you. Maybe that family member or that friend, their advice failed you, but God's never, God's advice and wisdom never will. And when God's wisdom is guiding me, I display everyday humility. I'm clean in muddy shoes. 
When God's wisdom is guiding me, I'm deciphering wisdom's nemesis. I'm, I'm taking opportunities for self-evaluation so that I don't follow the wrong wisdom. When God's wisdom is guiding me, I'm determining to make peace. I'm working the soil so that the seed of wisdom can be planted and produce the harvest of righteousness. And God's wisdom was ultimately personified in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks or non-Jews, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And here's why this is important to understand, that the wisdom from above was personified in Jesus Christ because it's through Christ that we now have access to the wisdom from above. And so if you are trying to navigate the world below, apart from the gospel and apart from the saving work of Jesus, then it will just continue to be earthly and natural and, yes, even sometimes demonic, as James describes it. But the wisdom from above, the only way that we have access to that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it is the gospel on the ground. It is when we have been transformed through the finished work of Jesus by faith in what he has done that now the spirit of Christ resides within us and we can live out this truth, the wisdom that comes down from above. So don't take these principles and say, wow, this book is just a great guide for my life. If I'll just put some good principles into practice that are from above, that'll be better than all the principles I've been putting into practice from down below. You and I don't have the ability within us to even practice the principles that James shares apart from the work of Christ within us. So if you are here today and you have never put saving faith in Jesus, maybe you've done some church stuff, maybe you've done some religious stuff, maybe this is your first time. And you're like, hey, everything out there has failed me. I'm going to walk into these doors and see if this is any better for me. But if you have not put faith in Christ, you do not yet have access to the wisdom from above because that comes through the Spirit of Christ within you. And so by simple faith in Christ and what He has done, we'll celebrate it on Friday and next Sunday. That is the good news, that sinners like us can be made right with a holy God, not based on our own works and our own merit and our own wisdom, but based on the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. And by faith in Christ, not by our works, but by faith in Christ, I can enter into a relationship with God. And when you have that, you will be guided by wisdom, and it will produce a life of righteousness. So this morning, we want to learn to live. We don't just want to learn to learn. We do this every week. I've got three questions for you so that we can learn to live. Number one, my first question is this. Where do you find your source of wisdom? Where have you been going for your source? Does your source of wisdom come from within? Like, I'll just figure it out. Are you one of those self-starters? Are you one of those firstborn? Like, I can just, I can just do this. I got this covered. Does it come from within? Does it come from without? Maybe you're the podcaster. Maybe you're the influencer. Maybe you're, you're, you're just going out and saying, I'm going to find somebody that's got some wisdom, and I'm going I'm to listen to them. I'm going to learn from them. Is it from within? Is it from without? Or is it from above? And once again, as I reiterated just a moment ago, apart from Christ, you cannot have access to that wisdom from above. Because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of that is made possible through Jesus. And so if you've been going other places to find wisdom, but you have not yet come to God through Christ for wisdom, then would you come today by faith in Jesus, find him as your source of wisdom. And then number two, 
My second question, for those of us who have put faith in Christ, what decision, let's get real practical here right now, what decision are you making right now where you need God's wisdom, wisdom from above? Write it down. And then start to evaluate it. Evaluate the wisdom that you have been receiving in order to make that decision. Is it wisdom from above or is it wisdom from below? If we're honest, we need that wisdom from above, not just for the big decisions, but for those everyday small ones too. But identify right now, you're making some decisions or you're making one big decision and you've been thinking about it, you've been asking friends about it, you've been wrestling with it, it's on your mind. Make sure that you don't circumvent that wisdom from above and allow God to influence that decision. And if you lack wisdom, just ask. James chapter 1 and verse 5, and God will give it to you. And then number three, third and final question for us to consider as we learn to live is this, where do you need to make peace? Not just keep it, not just status quo, not just survive, but where do you actually need to go to a difficult, tense, maybe even chaotic situation because you have been equipped with wisdom from above and you have the spirit of Christ within you and you have the gospel truth that you understand. Where do you need to go and actually make peace? peace. Moms, dads, maybe you need to be making more peace in your home. Is there a relationship where you've just sort of cut somebody off and pushed them out because they hurt you? Maybe you need to go to that relationship and whether or not they reciprocate, whether whether or not they're ready ready to even receive it, you're going to go and make peace in that situation. Where do you need to make peace? Children of God, we are different We are salt and light. We are distinct. We don't live by the principles of this world. We live by the principles of the world to come. And that paradoxical wisdom from above guides us and directs us and leads us in our everyday life. And so let's be those kind of people. Not governed, not led by the wisdom of this world, but led by the wisdom that comes down from God up above. Can we pray together? Father, we are grateful for these moments that we have had. Thank you for the work of your spirit through our worship in song and our worship in prayer and now our worship through your word. God, I pray that we would not just hear it. May we be doers of the word. If there's someone here in this room and they've not yet become a follower of Christ, I pray that they would not look at James chapter 3 as some good advice for them to try out this week. But may they understand that apart from a saving relationship with Jesus, they cannot have access to the wisdom from above. And yes, they might be able to try some of these things, but all it will produce is a moralistic life. It will not produce life transformation. And so may they come to you today by faith and trust in you alone. And then help help those of us who've done that just to continue to be guided and navigated in life and through life by your wisdom. And may it be a reflection of your righteousness to the world around us. And we'll thank you for all that you do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, 
go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.